John chapter 8 with me, and please stand as we read God's Word together as a congregation, and He speaks to us. We're continuing right along in our study of the Gospel of John and looking at this great theme of Jesus being the light of the world. Well, here now as God speaks to you through His holy, inspired, inerrant, and life-giving words. Again, Jesus spoke to them, saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So the Pharisee said to him, You are bearing witness about yourself. Your testimony is not true. Jesus answered, Even if I do bear witness about myself, my testimony is true. For I know where I came from and where I am going. But you do not know where I came from or where I am going. You judge according to the flesh. I judge no one. Yet even if I do judge, my judgment is true, for it is not I alone who judge, but I and the Father who sent me. In your law, it is written that the testimony of two people is true. I am the one who bears witness about myself, and the Father who sent me bears witness about me. They said to him, therefore, where is your father? Jesus answered, You know neither me nor my father. If you knew me, you would know my father also. These words he spoke in the treasury as he taught in the temple. But no one arrested him because his hour had not yet come. So he said to them again, I'm going away and you will seek me and you will die in your sin. Where I am going, you cannot come. So the Jews said, Will he kill himself since he says, Where I am going, you cannot come? He said to them, You are from below, I am from above. You are of this world, I am not of this world. I told you that you would die in your sins, for unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. So they said to him, Who are you? Jesus said to them, Just what I have been telling you from the beginning. I have much to say about you and much to judge. But he who sent me is true, and I declare to the world what I have heard from him. They did not understand that he had been speaking to them about the Father. So Jesus said to them, When you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am he, and that I do nothing on my own authority, but speak just as the Father taught me. And he who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do the things that are pleasing to him. As he was saying these things, many believed in him. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of the Lord stands forever. Let's pray together. Father, we do come before you this morning eager and ready to hear from your word. Lord, we do pray for light, that light of illumination that your Holy Spirit brings, that opens our minds and our eyes to behold wonderful things within your law. We pray for his work and his ministry now. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. In 1521, four years after Martin Luther posted the 95 Theses on the church door in Wittenberg, he was summoned to the Diet of Worms to answer for his writing that was speaking out against the Catholic Church. He waited several months after he had received the summons for obvious reasons. He was fearful. He knew that this was not looking good And so he was fearful for his life, but Luther's duke, Frederick the Wise, had secured for him 
a, a promise from the Catholic Church, a promise of safe conduct, which basically essentially promised that uh, he would not be arrested nor would he be put uh, to death. Uh, but Luther knew he was entering into an adversarial situation, and you have to remember that a hundred years before Luther received that promise of safe conduct, John Huss was also offered a promise of safe conduct, who was then later burnt at the stake. And as Luther came before the emperor and uh, many of the representatives of the Catholic Church, he had all of his writings laid out on the table in front of him. And he was asked two simple questions. Did you write these books? And are you willing to recant? And obviously the story goes that we hear is where Luther says, here I stand. Now that likely was never spoken by Luther because he actually took another day uh, to decide because he did come with great fear and trepidation. Uh, but you can understand by those questions that the church at the time was trying to trap him, uh, trying to make him an enemy of the church. But we know that Luther was standing uh, strong on the word of God, and he sought to uh, recover the purity of the church. And in our text today, we find uh, the Lord Jesus Christ once again entering into an adversarial situation with these religious leaders. Ever since John chapter 5, the religious leaders have sought to trap him. They have sought to arrest him and then convict him and then put him to death. This is the substance of their interactions with Jesus. What we don't find by uh, the religious leaders is them wanting to listen, uh, to consider, to engage with what Christ was saying. And so we find that same theme continue here as verse 20 tells us that Jesus is standing in the temple treasury speaking to all the people. And if you have a red letter Bible, you will notice that most of our text today is in red, meaning that Jesus is doing most of the talking. And what you need to see first and foremost from Jesus' own words is the contrast that he is setting up between himself and the religious leaders. Uh, he wants to show an important distinction between himself and those who reject him. And so Jesus says, I am the light of the world. And by implication, the Pharisees are those who are walking in darkness. And then he sets up another distinction that we'll find later on in the text, where he says, I am from the world above, and you are from the world below. And John records these things, not so much to cast a negative light on the Pharisees, but to instruct us towards faith in Jesus Christ. At the call of this text is to acknowledge that unbelief in Christ is that great spiritual darkness, and that only in Jesus Christ can we find true spiritual light. And so let's dive right into the first contrast that we see between light and darkness. Look again with me at verse 12. Again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Anytime that Jesus says, I am, it is massively important in John's gospel. We've already seen one of those I am statements, haven't we? 
I am the bread of life. And there are five or six more, depending on how you look at it. But these I am statements strike at the very identity of Christ. This is how he's trying to communicate the knowledge of himself to those who will listen and hear. One old commentator said, So rich and glorious is he that not a single name can describe him, and not a single metaphor can do justice to his greatness. So what does Jesus mean when he says, I am the light of the world? Well, there could be a contextual clue that we find here in John 7 and John chapter 8, as this is a close in proximity to that Feast of the Tabernacles that we explored all throughout John chapter 7. John is connecting it back to chapter 7. As you see, it begins by saying, again, Jesus spoke to them. This is the same crowd that he was dealing with in Jerusalem all the way back to John chapter 7. And as you might know about the uh, festival of the Feast of Tabernacles, one of the practices that they did, and we, we explored that a few weeks ago, is that the priests would actually pour out water uh, in the temple, uh, signifying that water that came from the rock. And of course, looking towards Jesus Christ as the water who gives life. Uh, but after that uh, festival and, and ceremony concluded, at the end of the day, uh, it was often uh, something that they did was they would light four different uh, torches. Uh, they would bring lights into the temple courtyard and they would light up the sky in Jerusalem, that dark Jerusalem night, and people from all around would gather and bring their own torches. And it's signifying light, of course, the light of the Feast of Tabernacles. And the Old Testament event that would have been in their minds would have been when the Lord led his people to the promised land with a cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. The people of Israel were trained to sing in the Psalms, The Lord is my light and my salvation. His word is a lamp unto my feet and a light to my path. And we know in the prophetic literature, especially in Isaiah, that the expectation for the Messiah would that he be that he would bring light to the nations. And so perhaps all of these things are in the backdrop. But what you need to see clearly about uh, this grand statement that Jesus makes of himself is that he is making a claim of divine radiance. John, in his letter, says that God is light. And Jesus claims this about himself. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. Uh, the definite article that we see here, I am the light, uh, communicates that there is no ambiguity here. I am the very presence of God that brought the people out of Israel, out of Egypt, into the promised land. Uh, Jesus Christ possesses moral purity, and he himself dwells in unapproachable light. In him there is no darkness at all. He is pure unblemished, unfading light. So he's speaking about his divine nature here, of course. But this claim is also of revelatory significance as well. Jesus is saying that he brings revelation from his Father to enlighten the mind with true understanding. Outside of him, there is no knowledge of God. This will become clear when we examine the Pharisees' response in the coming verses. But what does Paul say in 2 Corinthians 4? For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, 
has shone into our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the revelation of God. He brings light where there is darkness in our understanding. But thirdly, the self-declaration contains a redemptive promise, doesn't it? I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Jesus, the light of the world, shines into the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. When his light shines, it brings life to those who are trapped in darkness. Now, kids, many of you might be afraid of the dark. I know I was when I was your age. And what's the first thing that you usually do when you enter into a dark room? You enter into that room and you find the light switch. And once you hit the light switch, you can see the darkness running away, as it were, being chased out of that room, and you feel comfort. You feel confidence. Well, this is what Jesus promises to do, to chase out the darkness, to remove that blindness that we all have because of Adam's sin, that spiritual darkness of our minds. He brings us out of that darkness. Some of you might know the philosopher Plato, who had this cave analogy to describe understanding and knowledge. I won't go into all of the details, but essentially his idea was that humanity is trapped in a cave where uh, reality is above ground. The true uh, form of things is above ground, but uh, humanity is trapped to where they can only see the shadows of reality cast on this cave wall. And the problem is, is that humanity is trapped down there. Plato does get that right. And that there is darkness of understanding. Uh, but he thought that the way out uh, was the meditation of philosophers. Good philosophy could get you out of this cave. If you thought long and hard about, about the true form of things, and then you can find your escape. And now Plato said that thousands of years ago. Uh, but modern man is no different. Uh, the way to attain true knowledge is through enlightenment. Many will say, through the contemplation of philosophy, by acquiring scientific knowledge, they think that they can raise themselves out of the darkness by their own intellect. But Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Come to me and I will bring you out of the darkness. Follow me and you will have the light of life. And so it's divine radiance, illumination, salvation. But what do we see people do so often with Christ's claims? They reject them. And they rely on their own understanding, their own intellect, thinking that they can get their way out of the cave. But what do they do? They continue to stumble in darkness. If you're in a dark room, you will know that you have to be careful where you walk because you don't know if there's a Lego right in front of your foot. You don't know if you're going to stub your toe on the door. Uh, This is uh, the reality of sinful humanity. They are stumbling about in the darkness. And that's the picture that we get with these Pharisees. They are those who stumble about in the darkness. Look at verse 13. So the Pharisees said to him, 
You are bearing witness about yourself. Your testimony is not true. Again, we see that their instinct is not to ask more questions about this great declaration. It's certainly not to believe in what Jesus has asserted, but their instinct is to discredit him as soon as they can. You can't give testimony about yourself. You're making it up. Where's your proof? Where We need evidence, they say. And so Jesus responds in verse 14. Jesus answered, Even if I do bear witness about myself, my testimony is true. For I know where I came from and where I'm going. But you do not know where I come from or where I am going. You judge according to the flesh. I judge no one. In a way, Jesus is bringing it right back to where he left it in John seven twenty four where he told his disciples and really all who were in that crowd to judge with righteous judgment. And what we see so often is that there is not righteous judgment. There's a certain sense of blindness here that Jesus is picking up on. That they do not know where Jesus has come from. They do not know where he is going. But to illustrate the darkness of their minds. Jesus does graciously grant their point. Well, if you won't accept my testimony, because I'm declaring these things about myself, how about the testimony of my Father? Look at verse 16. Yet even if I do judge, my judgment is true, for it is not I alone who judge, but I and the Father who sent me. In your law, it is written that the testimony of two people is true. I am the one who bears witness about myself, and the Father who sent me bears witness about me. So Jesus brings in his star witness, his very own Father. Okay, I grant that the law requires that a testimony to be only accepted if it has been seen by two witnesses. Well, I've provided myself as the first witness, and now I'm providing my Father as my star witness. He confirms my testimony. Now, this is an interesting apologetic that Jesus is using here. When it comes to his own identity, he is unwilling to grant any other source of authority than his own father. He's not going to make claims based on science. He's not going to make claims based on history. He's not going to make claims based on other people's eyewitness accounts. No, he says, when it comes to who I am, only I can speak about who I am and my father also. And then you can see their response to him bringing in his father. They said to him, therefore, where is your father? Jesus answered, you know neither me nor my father. If you knew me, you would know my father also. Think about this for a moment. The son of God was face to face with these men. And they had no clue who they were talking to. And they were feet away from their creator, the one who sustains all things according to the word of his power, and yet they were completely ignorant of his identity. They didn't know who his father was. They didn't know who he was. And yet he was just feet away, speaking to them, to them the oracles of God, the truth about himself. And yet they asked the question, where is your father? Who are you? And now one could say, well, isn't it possible that they simply were not understanding what Jesus was saying? It is a little cryptic, I guess. 
but that can't be the case. From John 5 to 7, Jesus has made his point abundantly clear to the religious leaders. My father is working, and I also am working. And what is their response? He's claiming equality with God. You see, they understand. They get it, but they refuse it. What's behind the darkness of their understanding is the darkness of their hearts. They don't know God, and so they do not know Jesus. Or I guess you could say, how could that be possible? God incarnate ten feet away and not even notice him? Well, wouldn't it be a tragedy to come here every Sunday, to be this near to Christ, hearing his word, being with his people, singing his songs, and yet not knowing him. It's a possibility. And so we see the contrast between light and darkness. And now let us look at the contrast between the world above and the world below. As a kid, I used to always love flying on airplanes and sitting in the window seat. And now that I'm much older and taller, I prefer the aisle seat. <laughs> but as a kid, I enjoyed the, the window seat because you could look down upon the ground and you could see your hometown. You could see, you know, a new perspective from above. Uh, and Perhaps this is the reason why so many enjoy going up to a scenic overlook on some mountain or uh, some vantage point where they can see the same things that they've always seen from the ground level, uh, but from a different perspective. Uh, well... I suppose that this is the vantage point that John wants to give us here in the remaining verses of this text. A perspective from above that exposes the nearsightedness of the perspective from below. In a sense, Jesus is saying that the reason why their minds are unable to comprehend his mission is because they are set on earthly things. Look at verse 21. So he said to them again, I am going away, and you will seek me, and you will die in your sin. Where I am going, you cannot come. He's laying out his testimony once again. You don't know where I am going because you don't know who I am. And because you don't know who I am, you can't know where I am going. They prove his point in verse 22. So the Jew said, will he kill himself? Since he says, where I am going, you cannot come. They say to themselves, well, we can't follow him, so where is he going? Well, he must be going uh, to the place of death. He must be taking his own life. Now, in a way, they're right, uh, but for the wrong reasons. Part of Jesus' mission is going to be his death, and they will not be able to follow him there. Uh, But they are right for the wrong reasons. They're assuming that he is just a lunatic. Look at this man. He's going to take his own life. Look how crazy he is. He's speaking all of these things about God that we don't understand, we don't know, but here he's going to a place where he's taking his very own life. But then you see the main point that Jesus is driving home to them that comes in verse 23. He said to them, you are from below and I am from above. You are of this world. I am not of this world. What, Jesus, what puts Jesus at odds with the religious leaders and the crowds, is not the clarity of his arguments. It's not because they were 
unconvincing. Uh, But what set them at odds was that they were worlds apart. Uh, Their perspective is earthly. Christ's perspective is heavenly. They see things according to the flesh. He sees things according to the Spirit. Their minds are warped and sinful. His mind is true and pure. His will is to do the will of his Father. Their will is to do the will of their Father, Satan. And so this is what sets them apart. This is why they are so different. This is why they uh, can't seem to come to common ground. You know, there's this interesting section in one of C.S. Lewis's uh, space trilogy books, Paralandra, where the main character finds himself on this planet that's really just a representation of uh, the Garden of Eden. And he meets the equivalent of this planet's Eve. And although uh, she had the form of a human, uh, that he could recognize her to be a woman, uh, she was altogether different. Uh, He had even commented that though he had seen aliens that had a completely different form inside, they were actually all very similar to humanity. Uh, But there was something about this woman that was different. She was untouched by sin, and so he didn't know what to do with it. He couldn't interact with her. And to those who are of this world, Jesus is as unrecognizable as the God of glory. To those who are of this world, Jesus cannot be seen for who he is because they are living in darkness. So Jesus warns them in verse 24, I told you that you would die in your sins, for unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. But they couldn't understand. Their mind was bound by their own fallen reason. And so they said to him, who are you? And this just goes to show that all their rushing to judgment in John chapter 7, uh, saying that this man cannot be the Messiah because we know where he's come from, and we know who he is, we know his father, all of that was shallow at best. They don't know who he is. They claim to know this man, but here they are exposed. They don't know, nor do they want to know who Jesus is. Why? Because they're of this world. But it's not just Jesus that they don't know. It's the Father that they don't know as well. The Father who they claim to love and adore, who are so committed to and zealous for, that their whole life is wrapped up in the knowledge of this God. They don't know him either. Look at verse 25. Jesus said to them, Just what I have been telling you from the beginning I have much to say about you and much to judge. But he who sent me is true, and I declare to the world what I have heard from him. They did not understand that he had been speaking to them about the Father. Jesus says, I bring a message that is not from myself. I didn't make it up. It's from heaven. It's a message from the Father. Yes, there's much more I could say about you, Pharisees. I could call you out for your hypocrisy, I could call you out for your ignorance in the things of God, but let us leave it at this. You do not know God. You don't know the Father. You don't understand what I am saying. You don't realize the message that I'm bringing. And friends, this is the state of this world. 
And this is the state of sinful humanity. Unknowing, unwilling, and unable to change. Because they are of this world, guided by the ruler of this world. But then in Jesus returns in verse 28 to where we began with the Jews refusing his testimony. He says, if you refuse my own testimony and the testimony of my father, well, I have one last piece of evidence to submit to this courtroom. Now, it's important to remember before we read it that the Greek word for witness is the word martyrion, which is the word that we derive martyr for. And Jesus says, my testimony, my, my message will be confirmed by the witness of my death. And then you will know I am he. Now look at verse 28. When you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am he. You know, our English translation has to add that word he at the end. It's simply in the Greek, just ego me, I am. What's Jesus saying here? He's speaking about his death on the cross. We've already established that way back in John chapter 3, that the same way that the serpent is lifted up in the wilderness, so too will the Son of Man be lifted up on a cross. And Jesus is saying, saving knowledge, true light comes from that final witness, that final witness of my death being called into the courtroom. And then you will know that I am. I am the covenant Lord. I am the Father's Son. And this is a plan that Jesus and his Father had decided and determined before the foundations of this earth. It is a heavenly plan, for no mere man could think of something like this. In fact, the world often looks down on it. You know what Paul says in 1 Corinthians, that the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to those who belong to a different world, it is the power of God. The proof of his testimony, Jesus is saying, is the cross. The cross on Calvary that proves that I am the Lord. And they will be involved, whether or not it is by faith or by crucifixion. Now, these Pharisees will know who they have been dealing with. But I want to close our time by returning to Christ's central claim in this text. I am the light of the world. And the first thing I want you to see and to consider is the certainty of this claim. I am the light of the world. If you were to go home later this afternoon and do a Google search on spiritual quotes about light. And you'd find all kinds of interesting things. Uh, perhaps in our culture and context, what you'll find is that the light is not somewhere that exists out there, but it's something that exists in here. Uh, there's quotes that I found that say, look to the inner light within you. Nothing can dim the light within you. Uh, to shine your brightest is to be who you truly are. And that's the message of this world. And that's the perspective from below. But what's the perspective from above? Well, Christ says, I am 
the light. It's an absolute claim. It's a certain claim. There is no light outside of me. You can look for truth wherever you want to go. You will not find light. You have to find it in me. The old commentator Matthew Henry said, One sun enlightens the whole world, and so does one Christ, and there needs no more. Notice the certainty of this claim, but also notice the consequences of this claim. He says, Whoever follows me will no longer walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. To embrace the light of the world is to be let out of spiritual darkness. But to reject the light, as Jesus says in verse 24, what is it? But to die in your sins. There's no middle ground here with this claim that Jesus Christ is making. You either follow the light or you die in your sins. That's the proposition that is made from this text. Where do you stand? You either will be led out of the darkness or you will be led into your own destruction. Because what is hell? But that place of outer darkness and where there is no light of God's blessing. But lastly, there is comfort in Christ's claim. Do you remember when Nicodemus came to Jesus by night? And John paints this picture that it's Nicodemus sneaking in the darkness to go speak with Christ. It's spiritual Darkness, And it really testifies to his lack of understanding, as Jesus says, Are you not the teacher of Israel, and yet you do not know these things? Well, the hope, or what we could say the light shining in the darkness in that text, was that when, Jesus, or when Nicodemus came to Jesus, Jesus told him that there is hope, that you must be born from above, or what we often say is born again. And this is the work of the Spirit, a Spirit that we... Don't know where he comes from or where he goes. And for all those who are here that believe in Jesus Christ, I hope it's clear and comforting the darkness that you've been brought out of. You are no different than Nicodemus who came by night. You are no different than the Pharisees in this passage. Your understanding was the same because we all have it in Adam. But Christ has dawned upon your soul like the morning sun, and so now you see. That's the comfort here. He has caused you to be born from above with a living hope. And this really is the light that shines in you. But it's not your light. It's Christ's light shining through you into a dark world. But for those of you who are still living in darkness, there is comfort for you in this text as well. If you believe in this light of the world, you will not die in your sins, but you will have the light of life. That's a promise from Jesus Christ. That's for you to believe. What Jesus is saying is that if you put away all of that darkness, leave it behind you, And come to the light of Christ, who lived and died for sinners. You will have life. You will not die in your sins. Because that good news that comes to us in the gospel is that he came from the world above to the world below. He took on that darkness. You remember at the crucifixion. 
For three hours there was darkness. And Christ took on that darkness. Your darkness. And so that you might have light and life. And after he came to the world below, he took us with him to the world above. That's the message of the gospel. And that's for you to believe so that you will no longer walk in darkness, but have the light of life shine upon you. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you for a wonderful and a merciful Savior that we have in Jesus Christ. That he is sufficient to save us from every one of our sins. His revelation is full and true. And in him we do have light. Oh Lord, may we cast off our darkness. And may we run to him. May we find in him our every need. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.